The Liberating Arts seeks to articulate the enduring relevance of a liberal arts education during a time of pandemic and protest. Through our online platform, we will host a series of conversations with writers, academics, institutional leaders, and public intellectuals about the nature of the liberal arts, their formational purpose, and their moral significance in a time of great cultural disruption. We hope to inspire viewers and listeners to learn more about the liberating effects of these arts on their own lives. To find out more, please visit www.deliberatingarts.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, or YouTube. Welcome to another episode of The Liberating Arts. I'm Rachel Griffiths, and I'm hosting a conversation today with John Rocha um, about sports and the liberal arts. John works at Ozark Catholic Academy, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, John, I'm wondering if you can um, start by telling us a little bit about yourself and about your institution. Okay. Um, I, again, like you said, Rachel, my name is John Rocha. I'm the founding head of school at Ozark Catholic Academy. Um, we're a three-year institution, so we are actually in our third year of having students. I've been on the ground here in Northwest Arkansas, located in Tawny Town, um, for about four years now. Our, our school, Ozark Catholic Academy, is a high school, uh, independent Catholic high school, um, grades 9 through 12. And this being our third year, we actually have our first graduating class this May. So we're kind of excited mm -hmm. about that. Um, we started with about eight uh, sophomores at the time when we opened our doors, and now those sophomore class is 12 graduating seniors. And what I, one of the things I've liked to say to everybody is that 12th senior did not join us until August of this past summer, and okay. he came knocking on our doors. And um, mm -hmm. I do feel, and I do make the example analogy that uh, Christ had 12 to start with, and so do we. And I think mm, that's yeah. something I never thought about and I never prayed for, but God has given it to us. And those 12 are, are great students to be our first graduating class. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the mission of Ozark Catholic Academy and, and why you started it? So the mission of Ozark Catholic, um, one of the things that I was able to do, um, my two previous jobs, let's say, really prepared me for uh, what I'm doing up here in Northwest Arkansas. I'm um, not a native Houstonian, but I was raised in Houston, uh, Texas. And um, the last two positions I had was uh, director of academics and um, director of advancement at the Free Enterprise Institute, which runs the imaginative conservative blog, as well as um, Western Academy, an all boys school in Houston. And that was the last job, the last position I had when I moved up here to Northwest Arkansas. Both of them really continued my formation of what the liberal arts are and, and then ultimately how to put it into practice by educating boys grades three through eight. And so part of it was working with a great faculty, a great mentor in terms of a founding head of school in Western Academy, Mr. Jeff Pressburg, and really understanding what it takes to form young men. And so part of that was how do we do it at the high school level, right? So not only okay. did I have experience in uh, intellectual liberal arts of the imagined conservative and doing faculty development through the Free Enterprise Institute, but then actually put it into practice in the classroom. Um, I'm, I always say, whenever I introduce myself, I always say I'm a teacher. That's first and foremost what I am. That's what I hope when I die, everybody mm -hmm. will know me as being in the classroom, right? Not being mm -hmm. a head of school or helping mm -hmm. start schools, but really being a teacher. 
And, um, and I think that's, that's the nitty gritty of things. So when I got here, it's how do we then go from ninth grade to 12th grade and really kind of, I don't want to say make it a finishing school almost, but in the sense of how do we finish these students in terms of liberating them and truly making yeah. them free. Um, okay. yeah, as much as we talk about AP tests, um, uh, college, um, college classes that they can take at the same time during high school, all those things could be a positive and are good tools maybe to have at our disposal, but they shouldn't be the premise or the, or the focus of our curriculum. It should be the formation of the student's soul. And so mm -hmm. and part of that means in order to have that fine soul, intellectual and physical formation have to take place. And so that's what Western, uh, that's what Western Academy did in Houston. And Ozark Catholic Academy does it for these older students, which is just amazing. Great. Um, can you talk about your definition of the liberal arts? So that's something that we've asked a lot of people on these in these conversations to start with. So some people say it's learning for its own sake. Um, I think one other definition that stuck with me recently was education that attends to, to multiple areas of our lives. Um, so, so what is yours? Um, what I like to say in terms of liberal arts are, and very much almost what, um, what your podcast has talked about, you know, these liberating arts, I really look at the liberal arts as being freeing humanity, freeing mankind. And mm -hmm. so if we are rooted and we guide ourselves, not just intellectually, um, but also in the body. So when I have conversations with Christian uh, parents or Catholic parents in terms of why do we read pagan literature? You know, I go back to the formation of not just the imagination that we get through Socrates and Plato, but also uh, pagan literature. But then also we can look at it in terms of gymnasium, right? What we see in the Republic in terms of what Plato sets forth as a, a proper understanding of forming the body, right? And if we form the body to self-discipline and self-control, then ultimately, then we can form the mind. And that's kind of where then I go from Plato and Aristotle to uh, St. John Henry Newman. And you know, when, in terms of St. John Henry Newman's reference to liberal arts, his focus has been almost the intellect rather than the body, mm -hmm. as most people refer to him. And I really like the phrasing that he uses, that it, education is kind of that true engagement of the mind that gives it the power of viewing many things at once. And I easily see that ability and the usefulness of that when it comes to sports, and it comes to understanding and reading literature at the same time. That mm -hmm. both those things you have to see, you have to see what's being presented to you and see multiple layers in front of you of where you're gonna move the ball on the court or how are you gonna be able to see this character now and how that character develops or changes over throughout a story. Mm, those are some amazing connections that you're making there between sports um, and the intellect. Um, that's one of the, yeah, one of the things that I really want to be able to get into in this conversation. So um, from what I understand, um, sport is one of the um, top three parts of your mission. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And, and, and part of our, and part of our mission is, you know, this integrated really to, uh, to, put forth the students in an integrated, uh, rigorous Catholic intellectual tradition. And so for us, that does mean obviously the mind, but you know, most people, and I've heard Christian schools talk about the mind, body, soul, and heart. Mm -hmm. Well, it, to me, for OCA, it's the mind, body, and soul. 
and those things, it's, it's, it's a really a fine balance. Um, most of our teachers come from public school backgrounds. So very few of them have come from Catholic schools or Christian schools or a liberal arts background even. And so in this case, having teachers come from public schools, coaches may coach, um, may coach their sport or sports, may also then be in the classroom or not in the classroom. And then teachers who are teaching physics or math or um, history are usually not on the field, right? And so there's sometimes mm -hmm. this contradiction. And mm -hmm. here I am trying to say it's a balance and it's a fine balance of all three. And so what that means for us in a very practical sense is that um, as much as we're pushing the students in terms of academics, we wanna push them in their physical formation. So 90% of our students participate in a team sport. Um, and that's 90% participate in one team sport. About 85% of our students participate in two or more sports. So, okay. I mean, it's, okay. it, and it's not like we're going to recruit athletes. We're not recruiting athletes, right? One of our, uh, mm -hmm. one of the things we talk to parents is because we're a small school, your athlete or your student will be able to participate in athletics here because mm -hmm. we, want, we want that team formation, whether it's on a cross country team which, you know, obviously we're talking about running and focusing on their own uh, rigor when they're out on the court and building up their um, perseverance to being on the basketball court and how to work with others on the basketball court, as well as building up your physical endurance in that sense. So, you know, it's, we're looking at different tangents of the body, but it's also balancing that out. The other thing we do is um, we don't have a gym, so we're brand new, and we don't have a gym at the facility we're renting, so we actually have to drive, and we're renting two facilities around us, one north and one south of us, and so part of that is uh, we build in athletics within, like other schools, within our school day, which means, you know, we have to get kids and bus them out um, for athletics at the end of the, at our last period, and okay. whether they're going to volleyball practice or basketball practice, and so they're spending an hour and a half a day, an hour and 20 minutes uh, of the school day, and then they'll practice even be beyond that time period um, at those gymnasiums. And part of that is to make sure the importance of that is we want to build it into our curriculum in that sense of a day. For Arkansas, and like most states, it's a half credit that you need of PE to graduate. So that means our students have to freely choose athletics mm -hmm. as an elective. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not, we're not, we're not in a, in a place because we're young, but also in terms of our curriculum, we're not in a place to want to offer kind of a cafeteria style of here are a hundred electives, freely mm -hmm. choose of what you want, but we're mm -hmm. being selective in what kind of electives we offer in our curriculum. And one of them is athletics because yeah. we want to be able to have students be able to choose that sport and to better themselves throughout the four years they're with us at OCS. Okay. Um, a lot, I want to go back to this um, definition of the liberal arts as um, something that's liberating. Um, I feel like academics um, tend to exclude sports and athletics and the body and the, the physicality you know, that you were talking about. Um, why do you think that is that we often do not include that? Um, and um, yeah, and maybe what, what um, sort of um, benefits or advantages you see for including the sport, making sports an integral part of your definition of the liberal arts? It's funny, I have a couple of different images that popped in my head uh, as we were talking now, as you're asking the question versus what I was thinking earlier. But um, 
the images that pop in my head, I won't necessarily expound on too much, but I immediately think of, um, you know, Spartan, the rigor of Spartan training, right? Of the ancient Spartans, right? Mm -hmm. To this rigor, to the detriment of these young boys would die, right? As they mm -hmm. grow to be these soldiers. And then at the mm -hmm. same time, um, I equate that immediately to how much we put our students, you know, hopefully not at OCA, but at other places I've seen and other families that I know have put their students in sports from five years or eight years or nine years old, and they focus on one sport all the way through, right? Mm -hmm. Part of this formation of sports in the liberal arts is, I, it's not for us to develop one, the next, you know, LeBron James in terms of basketball. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to do that or find him so we can write on his coattails kind of say, but mm -hmm. at the same time, we want our students to participate in multiple sports actually, because it better enhances them. Um, one of the things our athletic director, Cody Vaught, said uh, this for the, I think it was the 2018 NFL draft. And I think this is interesting in terms of building the, the body up. And he said, um, all of those who were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, none of them just played one sport. Really? And, wow. and, that's, yeah, and that's interesting because what you're saying is if they're the best athlete out there, if they're the best ones chosen for football to be drafted by football, it's not because they're just the best football player. They're more than just the best football mm -hmm. player, right? Mm -hmm. They have something else. Yeah. And we tend to forget that. We, we tend to go, yeah. oh, I want my son to be in this or my daughter to be this great soccer player. And so that means I have to have her coach and be in all these travel teams. That may help. Uh, that may also burn her out on the love of that sport, right? Um, so that, that's an interesting thing to think about. Also, I think of um, three examples um, that I wanted to share with you. One was we had a student, um, the family just moved in the middle of this year to Nashville, um, but he was with us our first two years and he never picked up a basketball. He never, he, I think he'd probably seen a basketball game, parts of a basketball game, and he played um, basketball our first year at OCA, at Ozark Catholic Academy. And he had to learn how to dribble. He had to learn how to rely on his teammates and his teammates, which were interesting because you think this would be the opposite. His teammates almost, instead of ridiculing him of going, don't you know how to dribble or don't you know how to pass the ball? were actually there because they knew they had to rely on him. We had limited numbers to make a team and they knew he would need to come in to play. And mm -hmm. so they built him up in order to learn how to grow and to, con to, uh, to give himself to the team without fear. And that was huge. So I think that's someone who had never touched a basketball, right? Think of mm -hmm. someone who's an average athlete. If you have a great coach or even maybe a good coach and he's forming or she's forming the students well, it's about opening themselves up and trusting themselves with their teammates to grow, right? Uh, we talk about having to trust our spouses, right? To open up to our spouses and be selfless. In team sports, it's the same way. If it's done well and done right, it's not about the best athlete scoring all the points or blocking the shots. It's the best athlete finding everyone who's open, having to be able to see this field or see this court and be able to pass it to the open man and to include everybody. Everybody who the other team doesn't expect to be included, right? And so... The other example that I wanted to give was we have, and this is a very, uh, or learning, learning differences. We talk about ADD, ADHD students, right? 
basketball. Um, we do base. We're starting baseball this year. We have volleyball as well. Um, I've seen students who suffer with these, um, even have dyslexia on top of it and other learning differences, and they have to focus on their studies. They've been, they've been learning all these tools and things as they've gone through elementary, and they're ready to grow at OCA academically, right? They have these academic tools. But what's interesting is sports really helps focus their concentration. In catching a ball and, you know, in the idea of the mind of a person who has ADD or ADHD, this hyper, all of a sudden your mind can be going all over the place. You have to concentrate on running down the court, on setting up a play, on ready to be open and catching the ball. The simple act of just catching the ball for someone like that can, it's not usual. It takes more concentration than you and I do. All that built-in focus helps them both physically, but also academically mm -hmm. helps them concentrate mm -hmm. more when they go to read, but they're also, they're reading and their mathematics skills that they're learning the tools helps them on the court as well. And I've seen it in terms of volleyball and in terms of basketball and it's great. And, you know, I see someone, uh, I see a student who walks three or four times during a game and, and I, and I, and I chuckle because I know why that student's walking because they're not deals. They don't, they know what they're doing, but it's that mode of concentration. Mm -hmm. It's that extra mm -hmm. effort they have to put toward it that you, you and I maybe don't have to. Um, but so sports really adds to it and blends and builds that self-discipline in a lot of ways that people forget, you know, or we tend to forget about. Yeah, what you said about um, encouraging students to participate in multiple sports and the, the NFL draft, you know, like the uh, people not just uh, being good at one sport, um, it kind of reminds me of some of the conversations that we have in the liberal arts about specialization, you know, so that even in, it sounds like you're saying even in sports, you know, don't specialize, like branch out and learn, you know, different, you know, different skills, different ways to, uh, you know, be thinking about, you know, moving a ball you know on a field or a court or um exactly so, yeah um, exactly yeah and what go ahead oh go, no go ahead yeah. oh i was thinking of c.s lewis I, I think he has this um i can't remember what essay it is i don't it may be democratic education it's one that i used a long time ago when i first started teaching many moons ago and um it talks about um he talks about using the image of uh having everyone take latin in the classroom and that in 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 that sense you have um johnny and i use that phrase i can't remember what student's name he uses but you have johnny who ultimately goes to the very back of the classroom who's whittling wood underneath mm. the desk trying <laughs> not to get caught and what c.s lewis if i remember see if i remember correctly c.s lewis goes it's important to have johnny in the classroom in latin not because he's going to be the best latinist but so he understands who is the best Latinist. And at the same time, when they go out to the playground, everybody know Johnny is the strongest, right? Mm, and yeah. we understand the yeah. world better when we're mm -hmm. in that one classroom, not taking mm -hmm. Johnny out of that class and making the woodling of wood into uh, an A class or a woodshop class. Mm -hmm. I love woodshop and I do want woodshop, but it's mm -hmm. not equivalent to that of Latin. It's important that they have all students in that. And so in my way, it's good to go and have all students. We offer Latin for four years and we have our students take Latin for four years. But at the same time, when students see each other on the court, there's a certain respect that they gain for those who may be struggling in Latin, but are doing awesome in basketball. And there's a balance in life that yeah. we're all different and we're all unique. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, have you found that that is um, more difficult to give students that experience of, you know, like their different abilities um, in different facets of their education um, due to the COVID pandemic? And um, have you had to do online instruction and, you know, have you had to rethink um, how to how to still convey some of those values to students? Uh, yes. And, and in some ways, um, we... Um, uh, high schools, I've, and I would say I have 10 children, and I have, um, right now I have four in grade schools. Um, my four youngest are still in grade school. So I would say teaching at a grade school level is a lot more difficult, I would say, right now in the pandemic than mm -hmm. teaching in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, the maturity of the students, okay. the ability and the use of technology. But for OCA, we've had to question some things and kind of try some things out, see what works. So last spring after March 15th, uh, we, on the Ides of March, we performed Julius Caesar one time, mm -hmm. and then we uh, went into COVID um, mm -hmm. and the COVID teaching. And what we did was we did, most of our classes are actual seminar based. So we're doing a round discussion, even if the teacher's presenting for 10 or 15 minutes, we go then go into discussion as much as possible. Okay. And uh, even in that said, we tried to do that online. The students were able to keep up, but the teachers were truly exhausted. And so mm -hmm. as okay. we went through that, we started to adapt pretty quick. Um, we shortened the length of the, uh, of the day for students. And then we did alternate days for seminar, um, mm -hmm. just because the teachers were wearing down very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. But then from there, even this year, we've had hybrid where we have some students who are on uh, COVID protocols and quarantine and things. And so they'll pop in online and I mean, we're in person. So right now I think we have one person in quarantine, but the rest of the school is here. Uh, the students want to be here. The teachers are, as much as we were nervous over the summer, the teachers wanted to be here and they are so happy to be in front of the students. Um, but in this case, we'll have the computer up and we'll have that student online looking at the whiteboard and viewing in. And then any questions they may have, they'll either have to really speak up or they'll mm -hmm. be able to put it in chat and then the teacher will get to it at the end of class uh, if okay. the teacher misses them. But we've really been able to adapt um, going from completely online to more of a hybrid approach. And okay. the, the hybrid has really helped us. Um, the other thing to think about is we've, we have a couple of big rooms and because we do seminar, we've, um, we're using screens and masks so we can face each other in some, some situations, so we can do the discussion. Um, because part of it was, are we gonna to go to lecture base and everyone face the whiteboard, or how can we do the seminar during, the, mm -hmm. during this pandemic? And okay. we've been able to make adjustments and things of that nature. Um, but I would say overall, we've increased uh, our use of technology, but yeah. we're not a technology-based school. So yeah. okay. this was something that we've grown into um, and it's been great tool, but it's definitely not dominating or overcoming our really foundation curriculum. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I'm interested in talking about COVID and education at this time is that um, these conversations are being um, funded by a CCCU grant that is called Between Pandemic and Protest. Um, and so I'm wondering if um, the pandemic has helped um, you understand in a different way the kind of education that you're offering to their students. Um, has it? Have you had any sort of realizations of you know this is why um, you know with it with the world 
world, you know, that is so fragile, you know, this is why we need to be educating students in this way? Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'll date myself by saying probably the most frequent references I have are of the Cold War. Okay. Um, particularly okay. of the 70s and 80s of the Cold mm -hmm. War. But, um, and I would say my, I teach ancient history right now to freshmen, both the boys and the girls. We separate our actual, our classes, except for math, um, we separate our classes by sex. So um, okay. for as many classes as possible, because students learn differently. Um, boys learn different than girls. And in teaching ancient history, um, it's interesting because it's a great reminder that the world is fragile, but it always has been fragile. It's, mm -hmm. it's, we're, if we're constantly pushing ourselves to grow and to be more free, then we both grow in responsibility of the environment, of personal responsibility toward the sanctity of human life, um, from natural birth to natural death, right? We, we have to consider all these things as our use and our promotion of technology enhances us as tools, but doesn't enhance necessarily our humanity. Our humanity is exactly mm -hmm. as we created. It has not changed. Mm -hmm. So technology gives us tools for it. And so part of that is when we talk about racism, we can talk about the uniqueness of racism in America throughout mm -hmm. the time period, right? And then when we hear something, and, and by no means, I don't mean to be political, and I don't think this is, again, academic, but we talk about... Um, people wanting to cancel Homer, right? Um, and talk mm -hmm. about where do the classics fit in? Well, Homer wasn't writing about his own people. <laughs> his poetry isn't about his own people. Mm. He's writing hundreds of years later, right? Mm -hmm. right. So, I mean, right. so when, when, we, when we use Homer as an example, um, what do we, how does Homer free us now in order for us to relate to each other better and to mm -hmm. understand where we come from in the, in the, the positives and the negatives and the nuances of conflict, right? Uh, whether it's in the Iliad or the Odyssey. And so part of that was on Martin Luther King Day, what do we do? And I, I saw this on the internet and I think even um, uh, uh, Professor Jessica Hooten Wilson had recently posted this, um, Martin Luther King's syllabus on one of his uh, seminary courses. And it was essentially oh, wow. Western, of Western civilization, right? Okay. It was yeah. of, of, of all these different authors that were either slaves, had owned slaves, uh, lived in a time of their people um, having slavery, and yet mm -hmm. it's part of who and what we are to understand ourselves uh, mm -hmm. and, and to become more human. It's mm -hmm. not, to, I feel if we let go of this, if we quote cancel things, then we are trying to deny our humanity and limiting ourselves. And so it's a great thing in this terms of this pandemic as we suffer loneliness. Um, one of the things we like to talk about with students is fear versus anxiety. There's a fear of the unknown, but people talk about this anxiety of the pandemic. And why are we so anxious? And so again, when we go to read literature or go to study history, that can kind of open us up because people have been anxious throughout history, right? Yeah. And yeah. is it new? How do we deal with it? How do we work with one another? And then ultimately from us as a Christian school, how do you build your personal relationship with Christ? And this is almost um, what some of my friends have told me. This is a great opportunity to reaffirm your relationship with Christ. So for high school students, if we believe in Christ and we want to grow in our love of Christ, it's time to grow in friendship with Christ during this pandemic. So what does that mean? And it means different something for you than it did for me when I was 15 or 18 years old, because I wasn't going through a pandemic. I was going through the Cold War. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what's that, what does that mean for you and what does that look like? And hopefully mm-hmm. we as teachers can be guideposts for our students. That's what I like to say. I like to say, you know, in terms of going back to that liberal arts education, teachers, I don't, I, as much as I'm in front of the room some of the time, I constantly remind myself um, to physically move away from the front of the room so we can walk side by side with the students so I can guide them, right? Dante had Virgil as the guide, right? And so we constantly refer to either the literature we're teaching in class, the great men and women that we study of the past, and then hopefully our teachers are guides for our students to be able to practice and use their prudence, to understand what virtue is, for them to own it. And that's the same thing with Christ, our relationship with Christ. They can see us during this pandemic or during these questions of racism, of how we can use our faith in Christ and our relationship with Christ to guide our students to not necessarily look, always look for a political answer or that politics is the answer, but that mm-hmm. Christ is the answer. Yeah. And how do we look at it? Yeah, oh, I love that response. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it is for me, it is a reminder as well that um, we have so many resources out there, like you're re- referencing the Cold War, you know, having gone through the Cold War, um, human life, the world has always been fragile. And so um, it's a good reminder of these resources that we have that our students, that our students need. Um, I want to circle back to the um, conversation about sports. So one of the things that I was really interested in talking um, to you about um, is um, how many of our institutions, and and I know that this is particularly true at the small liberal arts college, which is where I work. I work at a small liberal arts college in um, central Kansas. Um, There's often conflict or or maybe even animosity between the academic and athletic departments. Um, Who's more important? Who is getting the student's time and attention? Um, And so I was wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about your own experience with that conflict and if you have come up with um, solutions or ways to to lessen those conflicts and facilitate more understanding between um, these different aspects of a student's education. One of the things, and um, and it, it doesn't necessarily go directly toward athletics, the balance, but I think part of it is um, a reminder for teachers of what is what does it mean to be human, whether it's a coach or whether it's a teacher in the, who's only in the classroom. And um, from my early high school teaching experience, um, I was I was a student athlete in high school um, at the University of Dallas, which is interesting. I never felt that conflict as a student, as an undergrad with professors and, and student athletes, let's say, or coaches. And you could say, obviously, University of Dallas puts academics first in this way. But I do remember being fed as a student through intramurals. We, 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 mm-hmm. we, we saw intramurals as a community sport, as a bringing community together and building community. But also, mm-hmm. I mean, we we're sweaty. We were dirty, right? We mm-hmm. enjoyed playing football, playing basketball, whatever those things were competitively. Um, I was able to participate actually at University of Dallas in the revival of their golf program. I am not a scratch golfer by any means, okay. but, um, but I was able to participate in that revival of the golf program. So I think having, whether it's a small college or, you know, a larger college, a division one school, I think athletics are important in that sense. How then do we find that balance, right? And going back to my experience here at OCA and jumping from Western Academy in Houston to OCA, um, we, we do faculty readings. 
Um, at Western Academy, it was an all-male faculty. So not only do we do faculty meetings, but then we went out and we played a sport together. So we, we did wow. both. And we, okay. had, um, and we had PhD students who, uh, or, uh, you know, they were ABD, uh, essentially, and they weren't necessarily the best athlete on the court, but everyone went out on the court. So someone who is older like me, I was one of the older faculty members. And then we had guys right out of college or who were in their mid-20s. And they were definitely at their athletic uh, highest while I was on my downcline. And yet we all participated, right? We all enjoy that physical exertion of working together. Um, here at OCA, uh, we have a mixed faculty, male and female. So we do different things. We played games before, board games, things like that, Com competitive. But also one of the things I found out at Western Academy and I've used at OCA is a book by Leon Cass and it's called Being Human. It's a book of primary sources that he used, I think, um, and he was chairman of the bioethics, I think, committee under President um, George W. Bush. And that's a great little compilation of primary sources of understanding who we are as humans. And it's from all variety of sources. Um, movie scripts to poetry to um, 20th century novels to pagans to, to poetry and um, in that reminds putting a coach there and putting a physics teacher and then putting a literature teacher all in the same room reading a, a tangible and mm -hmm. short excerpt and yeah. them in conversation really reminds them even if we're not on the basketball court it reminds them we're more than just athlete and we're more than just intellect we mm -hmm. are the school and, mm -hmm. and it's our faculty talking about it. So it's a great book. We've, we go through excerpts and um, we go through different chapters. And so we have over three years, we haven't even finished the book. Um, okay. So it, okay. it's something to really to chew on and, it, and it's a yeah. great resource. So. Yeah, that's, I love that idea of getting the faculty together to read and then go play a game together. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's we, amazing. We we go play bocce here at OCA. We okay. play bocce at Western Academy, but we'll okay. do horseshoes. We'll do um, we'll do bocce. So we'll go out and do all kinds of different things. And I, but I think that's good. Building community, building collegiality, and I think that's another thing that separates rather than create this conflict that creates unity in community is, you know, and I like the word collegiality because I lead by collegiality, which means mm -hmm. I want the input of all not because I'm not afraid to make a decision, but I want the buy-in. I want people to own it. I want the teacher who's right out of college to own our curriculum and own our mission and vision uh, as much as I do, right? And how do I bring them on board and how do we blend it together? How do they see it and how are they living it in the classroom? And how do they see us living it together when we're doing professional development? And I think mm -hmm. that's key. Yeah. Um, can you talk about um, specific um, observations that you've had of coaches and, and faculty learning from one another. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier um, that students really benefit from being able to think about how to get the ball to certain areas of the court or how to shoot and then, you know, thinking about the character, you know, and the different moves that a character makes in a story. Um, do you have anything, um, you know, that you've observed from faculty and coaches interacting and learning from each other that you could share with us? One of the things is interesting, um, and I'll share one from my early teaching experience and then one now, um, the, a couple of the smartest men I ever met have been coaches and they're known for coaching and they only want to be known for coaching, right? Um, these two gentlemen, one was my age uh, when we first started teaching together. 
Tim Fitzpatrick, who was a football coach and ended up becoming head coach at the high school we were at uh, eventually. And then another one was a baseball coach, Jim Connor. And they, they lived and breathed their baseball. They lived and breathed football. But no, unless you got to know them, Jim Connor read novels. He read novels. He read mm-hmm. poetry. He read fiction. And unless he opened up to you, you didn't realize how much he was reading. Mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick essentially answered 90% or more of the New York Times crossword puzzle every day, right? Well, one coach's quote maybe had time to work on a crossword puzzle, but he had the ability, he had the knowledge, he had the, the brain power to understand puzzles, but much less than the, the, the wealth of knowledge to be able to put forth. And you, we know New York Times crossword puzzles aren't just pop culture, right? I mean, there are a lot of, right. they're, they're very broad-minded. And as I watched them, I would start to talk to them about other things outside of those sports. But you saw how it blended into what they coached and how they coached or how they saw their sport. And so it was amazing. Um, At OCA today, um, our basketball coach, uh, we have uh, one of our teachers. He's not a drama. uh, He's not a drama teacher. He's not trained in teaching drama, but he has been doing our production. We do an annual Shakespeare show. Since our first year, we have all our freshmen participate in a Shakespeare production. And the whole school reads the play, but the freshmen put it on. And so this year we're doing um, Twelfth Night. And our first year we did a Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. And it was in our first year, here's a coach who is focused on basketball and building up our athletic program. And here's a teacher who is taking on this drama and this production because I've asked him to do it. And he's athletic, but coach didn't see him as athletic. And, you know, and the teacher didn't necessarily see the coach as seeing someone beyond athletics and so are in sports. So they're looking at each other. And what happened was as coach came in to see the, uh, the idea of memorization of lines, you know, he thought, oh, this is just academic, right? But then he yes. started to see the rehearsals and how the students had to work together, how they had to rely on their facial expressions, but also on their stage direction, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just yes. memory of lines, but it's where are you on stage? How are you delivering? Where are those gestures? He saw how much it related to running a play in basketball, right? Yeah, you have to be right. at the right place at the right time. And yeah. you have to convey it convincingly. You have to convey it like you own it mm-hmm. and you mean it. And it was funny because he lit up and he was like, yeah, I've seen a play or two, but I haven't thought much about it. But seeing his student athletes, that those who he normally sees on the basketball court up there memorizing 200 lines and reciting them and putting it in motion on stage, it opened it broadened him and, yes. and he and the teacher who was also athletic in general and had this athletic background, they bonded in a way that I would never, I could never have forced, right? I could never put to, put them together in the same room and said, all right, see, see what y'all have in similarities and differences. But all of a sudden they came together and they see it. And, yeah. and there's a fruition of what coach does on the field and what we do on the stage once a year with freshmen that he appreciates and he understands and he he sees that it truly does grow the freshman. Yeah, wow, that's wonderful. That's really, um, we have, my my institution has a lot of student athletes and so I'm getting so many ideas about um, how to, um, yeah, how to make more connections between these, um, you know, 
these different parts of a student's education that there's often a lot of um, a lot of conflict. So that's wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, so I, I want to um, just give you a chance um, to if there was anything else that you wanted to say that was relevant to this conversation before we close. Um, you know, I think um, during the pandemic and, and much less even before the pandemic, um, we we started Western Academy, which was interesting. Uh, when the in 2008 through 2010 during our last recession, last big recession, and everyone thought this was the worst time to start a school, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't believe you're going to start a school. And then in 2010, we opened our doors, and Western Academy has been growing to capacity. When I left in 2000, uh, middle of 2016, um, it was one year away from its capacity of 225, and okay. has been there ever since. Um, OCA is a, is almost in the same way. There hasn't been a high school um, opened, in, a Catholic high school opened in Northwest Arkansas in 88 years. And here we are in a thriving, growing area, small part of uh, Arkansas, and we're creating a Catholic school. And they've tried it over the years. And it's, it's been over 30 years since they've tried it in different time periods, okay. and in different movements. And yet this seems to be the culmination that um, the maturity of Catholics and Christians who want more than what other schools are offering, whether it's private or public schools are offering that kind of formation of the whole person. And, you know, not that, I don't, I don't know if everybody knew what John Rocha was bringing in terms of liberal arts education and then liberal <laughs> education, but they understood that whatever OCA was going to be, it was going to be the formation of a whole person. And that I meant it. And, and we've been growing. It's been awesome. Um, so during the time of pandemic, we went, we've gone from 46 students last year to 73 this year, and it looks like we'll be about 85 next year. So wow. uh, I'd say if we're That's doing awesome. God's mission, and if whether it's a university, whether it's a small Christian school, Catholic school, or a, a public school in general, if you're living your mission and vision, you will, you will attract those people who want to come to you that you can serve in God's way. And I really think that that's, that's been a blessing for us to be able to open our doors in the middle of this, uh, and, and then in, in our second year and third year, have this pandemic, and we're still growing, and, yeah. we're, still, and we're still rooting ourselves, right, in, in our Western tradition, and rooting ourselves in Northwest Arkansas to say, we're here to support this community, and, and God is good, that's what I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I've really learned a lot from this conversation, and um, I hope that your numbers growing and students learning bodes well, you know, for the rest of us who are engaged in this work. Um, so thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.